Hey, we're in the midst of a, of a series called Made for More. And we're in the book of Ephesians, a book that was written by the Apostle Paul, an early follower of Jesus. In fact, he was one who sought to, to eliminate the church until Jesus meets him on the road to Damascus, the raised Jesus. Paul is mortified. What is going to happen to me now? And, and Jesus says, I'm going to make you my apostle to the Gentiles. You're going to go to people who have never heard about me. And Paul begins to do that from that moment on. And Ephesus is one of those Gentile churches that he started. And they're wondering how it is that God works in and among them and through them and all these kinds of things. And so in six short chapters in a letter that he's written to them, Paul explains that. Paul explains about who you are, that, that you are made because of Jesus, and you don't need anything more than Jesus. And so Jesus is more in Paul's writing here in Ephesians. He's the answer to all which we need and is available in every aspect of our life. His power is, and love fills every space of our lives. And then he, then he says to them, you were made for more. You were made. You are specifically a person of being. And, and you don't have to be nervous about that because God's at work in you. You were made for more. We illuminate Jesus in every place, in every corner of our lives. And then the third chapter, he jumps in. He says, we're made to love more. Because God loves us, we, uh, his kids, we can love others. We can be unselfish in our lives. We recognize the challenge in our motives of doing good things, and yet the Holy Spirit continues to work in us so that he cleanses those motives so they become more and more like the motives of Jesus, which are so totally self-sacrificing. And that's why we're going into a series after this. When we come into the middle of February, we're going to be talking about the Holy Spirit. We're going to introduce you to him. Maybe you already know him, that third person of the, of the Trinity, God, the Spirit. And we're going to talk about his person and his power and his presence and all the things that the Holy Spirit's doing in our lives. And then last week we talked about we were made to do more. In our pursuit of taking Jesus into every corner of our community, in every nook and cranny of our world, we were made to do more of what matters the most. And, and, and he empowers us to do that. It's not just something that we make up on our own. It's something that God has made for us. And so we pay attention to that. Each of us has unique gifts that are given to us from God. Not for our own benefit, but for the church's benefit to grow up and for the communities around us. So if we're going to see a movement of change in our community, we have to answer the sacred summons that God has placed on our lives. That's one of the reasons why we encourage you to take the Made for More assessment. And you can see here, on if you go to T-H-E-W-O-C-C, there'll be a place where you can take this assessment. Please do that. Nearly 200 of our people have taken this assessment. It's fascinating, the things that it teaches us about ourselves, the places where we can be involved in conversations with leaders around here about what God wants to do in our lives and how he's wired us, the kinds of things that, that we just do and we never get tired you see, sometimes what happens is because we're not paying attention to who we are, how God designed us, how he's gifted us, we get involved in activities that are just wearing us down instead of energizing us. And a part of what the assessment helps me to do is say, here's your sweet spot, work in this. 
Oh yeah, there are going to be some other things over here that I need you to do that may not be quite as sweet, but what about your sweet spots? It's that kind of thing that, that keeps you up at night. It's that kind of thing that you don't feel tired over. That's what the Made for More assessment helps us to see. And here's our idea for today, and it's this. We are made to go more. Now, some of you are feeling really worn out. You're feeling crazy, and, and life is already going at a million miles an hour. But here's the deal. God made you to do more. He made you to go more because he empowers you to do that. Sometimes what happens is we don't, we don't lean into the power that God's given to us. We do it on our own. Somebody wrote, and I do the introductory sermon to our Holy Spirit about the person of Jesus Christ. And A.W. Tozer wrote many years ago, he said, you know what happens in the church is we get so comfortable and complacent with what we're doing that 95% of what we do, we could continue on if the Holy Spirit was not a part of our lives. Because it just becomes activity and busyness. That's the challenge is we have to overcome the busyness so that we can do the things that God wants us to do and go to the places that God wants us to go. We've been following Paul's letter, how he's doing those kinds of things, how he's challenging this eclectic group of pagans who have come to Christ, who are looking for ways to reach their community. Ephesus is in the country that today we call Turkey, along the south part of Turkey. And so you can imagine if, if they were winning people and changing people's lives, the challenges that they must have faced. And, and here's the reality. What more Jesus looks like in and through them is what Paul's talking about in Ephesus. So let's jump in. Chapter 5 of, of Ephesians, New Testament book. We're going to look at verse 8. Start there. Let's, let's check this out. For once you were full of darkness, and now you have light from the Lord. So live as people of the light. What Paul is saying to them is, before you became a Christian, you lived in darkness. You didn't know God. You didn't know what God wanted to do in your life. Before you met Jesus, you were in a dark place. You're outside the light of Christ. Remember that, that story oftentimes that, that Jesus would be called the light, that Jesus would come in and he would illuminate what was going on and speak directly to that. What Paul says is you've lived in darkness until you met Jesus. He brings the light into your life and, and he changes you. Before you used to live for yourself. You sought more for your benefit. You sought more religion so you'd feel good about yourself before God. You were looking for more in places that didn't offer more in any lasting way. And so you kept coming back and trying to do these things over and over and over again. He said, you live in light now, so live as people in the light. Now you know Jesus. Now you've stepped into the light. So now you've been commissioned to shine that light every place you live, work, learn, and play. Quick commercial here. This Friday night, we do Night to Shine. It's an opportunity to work with folks who ha have a number of disabilities and challenges in their lives. And oftentimes in our culture, we put people off to the side and we turn the light off of them because we don't want to see them and yet they are made in the image of God. Can I just challenge you to make room Friday night? You, you can still go online and register for that. You can still pass the background checks. We can talk to you about what the assignments are. Let me tell you, the smiles of the people who come in, whether they come in in wheelchairs or whether they walk or whether they're unstable in their walking, 
when they come through the door into our fellowship hall and we put a crown on their head and say, you are a king, you are a daughter of the king, so you're a princess, you are the son of the king, and so you're a prince, and to see their eyes light up because we shine the light of Jesus into their lives. Can I just ask you to think about that? See if God might be calling you to that. That you might give up a couple of hours on Friday night. Maybe a couple hours during this week to fill out the forms and get ready. But that's my commercial. Here's Here's what light does. Is that as light comes into our lives, we begin to see clearly. And in some ways, what Paul's talking about here is much like a mosaic. You've seen those images that are made up of hundreds and thousands of tiny parts or images or tiles. And when you see them all together, they form a masterpiece of art, something like this right here. So I want you to do something right now for me. Turn to the person beside you and say, you are a masterpiece. Go ahead. Now turn to the other person beside you and say, you are a masterpiece. And if there's nobody sitting beside you, turn around to somebody and say, you are a masterpiece. All right? Because this is the truth. I said this a couple weeks ago at at Ross, and I could watch the teenagers doing that. They turn to their parents and say, man, I'm a masterpiece. (laughs) Treat me like a masterpiece. We said, I'm going to hang you on the wall. You keep asking, like, acting like that. But anyway, that's another story entirely. That whole idea of being a masterpiece. And so Paul describes that to the church. He says, you are a masterpiece. If you're not a follower of Jesus today, can I, can I just ask you to listen in to us for a little bit here? Because God made you to be a masterpiece. And the way in which the light shines on you shows that to the people around you. So I want you to consider Jesus, how he changes your life. Each one of us is a masterpiece, a son or a daughter of God. And each one of us has been gifted for a masterpiece mission. Turn to that person and say, you are gifted for a masterpiece mission. That's a little harder to say. I understand that. You are gifted for a masterpiece mission. You believe that? You believe you're gifted for a masterpiece mission? I'm always amazed whenever I'm on a mission trip with some of you all, and, and you're thinking, man, I'm going to give so much here. These people are going to be so glad I showed up. And when, and when it's all over, it's like, ah, it was really good. But what God did to me in this week, he continued to make me his masterpiece. And that's what you'll see. Whether you go to Haiti in June, I think we still have two spots. Somebody said we still have two spots in, in June to go to Haiti. I'm not sure why we plan to go to Haiti in June and July, but that's God. You know, only God could do that. 120 degrees in the shade. But we've got two spots left if you'd like to consider that. God has you on a masterpiece mission. So, but here's the deal. We have an enemy. We have an enemy who wants to keep us from doing that masterpiece mission. And Jesus warns us about this, this enemy here in the fifth chapter of Ephesians as well. And that enemy wants to work to keep you asleep in the mission. How many of you here are in habit of sleep talking or walking? What? Okay, how many of you have a spouse that is does sleep talking and walk. See, I knew that would happen. I'd find that out that way. Some of you, I don't sleep and walk. We had a daughter as she was growing up that she would, she was a sleep walker. I remember one night we were laying in bed and I can hear this, mommy. 
She is outside the house in the front yard. Now, full disclosure, I didn't hear that. Nancy woke me up and said, she's outside. You better go find out. Um, so we were locking doors. We were putting, we put chairs in front of doors and stuff to keep her inside the house because she would walk. And, and the challenge that goes on in there, we needed her to wake up. But that's what she would do. She could, she could walk and talk and be fully asleep. Next morning, we'd ask her about it, and she'd go, what? What are you talking about? Uh, I, I remember not, not too terribly long ago that I was sleeping, and, and, and I hear a crash. And I hear my wife and, and feel her get out of bed, and she goes over to a window. And I hear her yell out the window, stay where you are, my husband will come down. I went, what? What? Jack the Ripper, Nancy. I'm not going out there for anything, you know, as that part's going on. And sure enough, somebody has a wreck out in front of the house, and I'm out walking around. I mean, those kinds of things happen at night, right? And they're weird, and we're uncomfortable in the midst of that. And that's what Jesus is saying here. Be careful. Be careful, because in the darkness, the evil one wants to keep you there. In Ephesians 5.14, what some believe is an early Christian hymn, we read these words. It says this, Awake, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. You see, that's what the early church sang. Because they realized they were asleep to the mission. They were asleep to what God was doing in their life. And it gives us this amazing picture. Verse 8 there in chapter 5, again, as we read it just a few minutes ago. For once you were full of darkness, but now you have the light of God. So live as people of the light. That reminder that we are this mosaic that God has given to us and has made. And when a light shines on us, we have this amazing beauty that we take into the community and into the world. And the world is glad that we're there. This past week, Nathan and I were in a meeting of some of the community leaders. And they were asking about some of the ways that we can make Colerain better, the Colerain Township better. And, and I said, you know, one of the things, you guys might be able to bring resources and so forth. The thing the church brings is relationships. And because we get in relationship with people, we see changes in their lives. That's what light does. But like sleepwalking and talking, it's possible to be actively engaged in seemingly normal activities in this strange state of existence, but we're asleep. So how do we wake up? Well, first of all, we have to realize we're asleep. There are three or four ways in which we're asleep. The first one is this, that I'm asleep in my identity to Christ. That's a part of what this text is saying. We consider ourselves to be Christians, but we're asleep to who we really are. And when somebody says, hey, be a part of the Masterpiece Mission, we're going, oh, I don't think I can really do that. I, I don't think God really wants me to be involved in telling somebody about him and making disciples. That's being asleep. The other way in which we are asleep in our identity to Christ is that we get into that, that um, binary relationships. We're either white or we're black or we're smart students or we're dumb or we're lonely or we're not popular or we're the popular kid. We're overweight, we're attractive, we're ugly, we're, we're gay, we're straight, we're good, we're bad, career-oriented or stay-at-home We're an athlete or a non-athlete. And we start to describe ourselves that way. And Jesus says, that's not how I describe you. The enemy wants you described that way. Because there's this good way to describe a person. And then there's this awful way to describe a person. And we 
separate because of it. And what Jesus says is when the light, when my light comes into your life and when it changes you, you have a new identity. You have a new identity. We talked about that in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 and 5, when he says, you are new in Christ. Because Christ died, you've raised to life now. You are different. You can be what God wants you to be. You're a son or a daughter in Christ. You rest in that identity. You live out that identity as you experience more of what Jesus offers. Another way in which we're asleep is we're asleep to the one mission that God has given to us, that we've been given as disciples to make disciples. Oh, oh, we kind of like this idea of being a Christian ourselves. It's like checking off the box for fire insurance. We know we're going to go to heaven. But really the mission is how are we bringing people along with us? It's not just evangelism to tell somebody that Jesus died for them, but it's also helping them learn to live as a disciple. Instead, oftentimes we'll concentrate on creating a holy huddle of a church that serves our needs and meets our preferences and expectations. We busy ourselves with religious obligation and traditions as opposed to walking out into the community. We let the professionals multiply mission, and we want to hear what their vision is for the next steps as opposed to listening to what God is challenging us to do. And our mission isn't to be good or to learn more or depend on buildings. No, it's to go and snatch people out of the fire and help them to be disciples who will snatch other people out of the fire. That's what he's called us to do, and it is, it is heart racing. Another way in which we're asleep is we're asleep to our go. Remember, Jesus said that, I mean, Paul says here in, in, in Ephesians chapter 4 that, that there's these things that, in fact, here's what it says in verse 15. Instead, we'll speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of the, his body, the church. That we begin to, to see that lived out in our lives. That we go. We've not been given gifts to serve ourselves. We've not been given gifts so somebody says, oh, you are so special. You are so amazing. Wow, I love to hear you pray, speak, serve, whatever that might be. We've been gifted to do the work of the church and to express the love of Jesus in our city. It's one of the reasons why last summer we did the four series, that White Oak is here for Colerain. White Oak is here for Ross. White Oak is here for Cincinnati. White Oak is here for Southwest Ohio. White Oak is here for the world. And so we see missions in India, West Africa, Haiti, and around the world. This is Paul's wake-up call. He says, wake up. Don't Don't sleepwalk your way through these days. I need you awake. Jesus says, I awakened you. Now go. Paul's warning or rebuke to the church is this. You haven't been shining light as you should. Flip on the switch or you'll miss out on your sweet spot of missions. You know, I, I love how a couple of our couples have just gotten excited about weekend to remember marriage enrichment and, and premarital. And they run with that. And you'll see advertising for it on our website, and you'll see a number of other things, because God has awakened them to the mission of building stronger marriages. 
And I don't have to stand up here and I don't have to go through the congregation and knocking on doors and calling you because they're doing it. That's their sweet spot. Here's something else that comes out of this passage in, in verses in the fifth chapter. He contrasts light and dark. And, and he gives us that there are some identifiers of darkness. And let me just show you these real quickly. He says the darkness is, the, is this. It's this idea of control. You know, that I want to call the shots. And whenever I became a Christian, there's this sense of I'm not in control anymore. And yet I keep trying to grab that control back. God, let me decide where I'm going to go. God, let me know what I want to do. I, I really want to do this, God. I hope you bless me as opposed to listening. That's what James says. Some of you say we're going to go do business and we're going to do these number of things. And, and James says, wait, wait, wait a minute. If God wills, you will do that. So it's good to plan, but pay attention. Are you in control of the plans or are you submitting the plans to God? Another way that darkness comes in is through comparison. You know, how things should be or how they used to be, or you find yourselves complaining, or you find yourself being offended. That, that's, that's the idea of comparison. Jesus is your brother. God is your father. There is no comparison to be made. What about complacency? You know, I, I just want to keep things comfortable. I just want to kind of slide off into heaven. I, I sense this uncomfortable clash between trusting God and my own self-reliance and my own self-importance. And oftentimes I opt for the latter, to be self-important, to be self-reliant. But, but then Paul talks about light, and the idea around light are three things too. That there's this aspect of curiosity. That when the light is on, I can see the things that are happening, and I, I, I become curious, and, and I wonder, what does it look like to give God more control in my life? Uh, what does he have in store for me? What does he want to do through me? And that's one of the reasons why I tell young people oftentimes, take, take the seminars that are offered. Uh, learn more. Read in the Scripture. Put tools in your toolbox because I don't know what God's going to call you to do, but there are going to be some days when he's going to ask you to take that tool out and work. And if you don't have that tool in there, you're going to miss out on the excitement of life. What about celebration? Light celebrates as we look at things that God has done and we imagine what he wants to do. And we search for where he's at work and we seek to join him in what he's doing. It's, it's the difference between preserving yourself and being transformed and seeing the transformation of others then take place. That's what excites us. Or how about courage? When you're in light, you can have courage. Right? I, I don't know if it's about you, if you're like this or not, but whenever I walk into a dark room, there's a little hesitancy. Any of you guys have that when you walk into a dark room? You ought to come here at about 10, 30, 11 o'clock at night when the shades are down and you walk into this room. Ooh. can be exciting. I know where the panic lights are so I can turn them on real easily, but I've brought people in here before. I didn't tell them we had those. And I have somebody strategically located in the room. Some of them are still running down 275. I mean, it's that. But when you turn the light on, all of a sudden you have courage. You can see what's happening around you. You can take risk. You can be boldly activated to go and to see what God's going to do. Ephesians 5 tells us, since you are light, then you should leverage those gifts 
Take those things that God's put into your life and look for ways to shine the light on those who don't yet have it. And we don't shine the light on them to be judgmental. We don't shine the light on them to make them change to what we want them to be like. We shine the light because light brings life. That's what light is about. So how do I wake up? I wake up by love, by God's love in my life. God demonstrates his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 5.8. Love activates the light. That's what Zach was talking about just a few minutes ago when he said God's greatest gift and greatest work is Jesus. He's not talking about the fact that Jesus is some created being. He's not talking about the fact that Jesus is somewhat lesser than God. He's talking about the sacrifice of Jesus. And that turns the light on for all of us. Love always costs someone something. Love costs God. For me to love in the light of God costs me. And so sometimes I ask this question whenever I'm wondering, am I being loving towards people? The question I have to ask is, who does it cost? If I'm putting people out or expecting them to serve me, then I'm not really loving them. Because they're paying the cost, not me. So this week, one of the challenges for you is, what does love cost for you? Some of us are really good at this. Others, not so much. Many of us love selfishly or conveniently. We we have mixed motives in what we do. You know, we kind of know, if I I do this little thing, then somebody's going to take care of me or they're going to think better of me. That's not love. That's not love. And that's why the Holy Spirit comes in to continue to cleanse us and to make us more and more like Jesus because Jesus didn't have a mixed motive. He came to break down the barriers between us and God because he loved us so much to do that. It wasn't, oh man, you know, if I do this, then they're going to worship me in big buildings. They're going to spend millions of dollars. No, that's not why he did it. He did it because we were lost. And there was no way back to God without Jesus. So, so when you're acting this week, whenever you're speaking to somebody about Jesus, are you doing it because you love them? I mean, that's one of the challenges for us as preachers at times whenever we're talking to people about following Jesus. Some people will say, well, Rick, you have a mixed motive. You want these people to follow Jesus because then your building will be filled up. You want these people to follow Jesus because then you'll meet budgets. You want to meet budgets because then you'll get paid. You want to get paid because you want to buy stuff and you go on and on and on. Love costs. And if it doesn't cost me anything, then I haven't really loved. There's another way in which we wake awakened by God. There's his love, but then there's also discomfort. Because you see, God doesn't want us to sleep. So he may call us in love, and some of you do this tomorrow morning when it's time. They're in school tomorrow, right? I never know what days they're in, right? Yeah, tomorrow they're in school. And some of them are going to be at Super Bowl parties tonight. And some of you can wake them with love, and you just say, hey, school's today. And your kids come racing down. They say, oh, I'm so glad. School's today, right? 
But for many of you, you have to make it uncomfortable. Flip on the lights, pull the covers off. Hey, it's time to wake up. And if they don't wake up, little ice cubes in the bed, that gets them out in a hurry. It's discomfort wakes them up, right? And that's the kind of thing sometimes that God has to do in my life. <laughs> you know, it's like, what do you need to do to stay awake whenever you're driving? Have any of you ever kind of dozed when you drive? There's a couple of policemen in here. Would you guys watch the hands? Do you see this? Yeah? No. I mean, you roll the window down. You want it to get cold in the place. You turn up music. And for some of you who don't like this, you turn up country music because that's uncomfortable. Or you turn up rock music because you don't like that. Or rap music or whatever it is. You have to be uncomfortable to stay awake. And sometimes God will do things in our lives that make us uncomfortable in order for us to wake up to him. Because life and death is on the line. That's why. God doesn't want anyone to perish. But he wants all to come repentance, come to repentance and to follow Jesus. And, uh, one of the things that I know about this mission whenever he says we're made to go more, we're made to run into the chaos to see what God is going to do next. Because we're already in the light. It's in the uncomfortable places where God's doing his best work and he's constantly calling us to join him there and it's in humans to do that too. We run toward tragedy to help or do we run away and go towards relief because the enemy wants to bring in fog and darkness and fear and we have to run into the chaos, folks. We have to run into the brokenness. We are God's EMTs. We are God's first responders in people's lives. Parents, can I just say this to you for a moment? One of the things that you have to teach your kids is to take risks. And when they take risks, they're going to fail. And sometimes that hurts, but it wakes them up to the possibilities of what God will do in their lives. It's one of the reasons why we take mission trips and encourage people to go on short-term missions because you're going to be in a place that's risky. Had that conversation with Tom and Suja recently as they're getting ready to head back to West Africa. And I said, so what's the risk level? I said, you, you probably don't really want to know. But that's true all around the world, right? That's true in Coleraine Avenue. That's true here on Blue Rock. Life is risk. Do we run toward the chaos or do we only run towards rest? You're either a missionary or you're a stationary. Which will you be? Will you be on God's mission or will you stay where you are and how you are? You were made to go more. Pray with me, please. Father, it's in this moment that we're reminded again of the mission that you've given to us. The mission, as, as you write here in Ephesians chapter 5, for the light makes everything visible. And this is why it said, Awake, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. So Paul writes, So be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but like those who are wise. Lord, I ask you to help us to make the most of every opportunity. I ask you to sound the wake-up call in our lives. I ask, Lord, that you would energize us so that we do not wait to be deployed because we've already been called. 
into the places that we live, that we work, that we learn, and that we play. Because, God, it's obvious that you love us. And it's your love and fullness through Jesus that motivates our love. And so, Lord, this week I pray that each of us will consider and then answer the question. For me, waking up from a spiritual slumber means what? Father, wake us up. It's in Jesus' name I pray.